Good morning, Risen Hope. It is good to be with you this Sunday morning. Uh, please join me in a word of prayer before we open up God's scriptures. Heavenly Father, um, we love you. We desire you. We long to know you and see you in your word. And so I pray right now, Father, that you would come take uh, my own frailty, take my weakness, Father God, and your glory and worth in front of which I feel completely inadequate, and use, Father, by your Spirit, uh, your great power to show us, show me, show my friends how awesome you are and what it means for Christ to have come into this world as light. Help us see who you are and your worth and your splendor and your majesty, not only in who Jesus was, but what you've done through him in our world to redeem us from sin and from death. Give us eyes to see that in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. Well, uh, we have been in a series for the last, I think it's four or five weeks now, that we've been calling He Brought Us Life, which refers, of course, to, to Jesus coming into our world to bring us eternal life, life with him forever. And that's what John 3 has been about so far. Um, We've been reading about this in the context of a discussion between Nicodemus, one of the uh, Pharisees, and Jesus. Nicodemus knows that Jesus is special. He's seen what Jesus has done, uh, but he doesn't understand how special Jesus is or how helpless he is. And so we've been looking at that for the past few weeks. And last weekend, Jesus told him that Jesus Christ, God's only son, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. That through faith in Jesus, people would be redeemed and saved. In other words, which Nicodemus knew this, God the Son would come into the world at some future date to judge and condemn the world for its sin, to come and and judge the world in righteousness. His entrance, Jesus' entrance right here, isn't to judge, but is to save. And and that's an amazing, glorious reality that we saw in John 3.16 last weekend. Christ came to save and redeem our world from sin and death. And I hope that it was abundantly clear uh, last weekend. But when we get to John 3.19, the very next verse in this discussion, Jesus says something about judgment that is shocking in reflection to what he's just said in the previous verses, 17 and 18. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please grab your copy of God's Word, take it out, and... uh, and open to John 3, 19, and we're going to read what Jesus says, continuing his line of thought from John three sixteen. So verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this may, at least at first blush, 
feel a little bit confusing and jarring compared to the verses just before. Jesus has just said that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world in verse 17. He came so that the world would be saved. But here, he clearly says that there is a kind of judgment, which he describes here by saying light has come into this world. That's part of the judgment. And and this is really what our focus is going to be on today. Um, What did he mean? when he said, this is the judgment. What is he talking about? And and how does that relate to you and I who trust him and believe in him? Well, Jesus explains the judgment in this verse by employing this concept of light and darkness. Light and darkness, these two realities that we've seen already in the book of John multiple times, and we will continue to see it. In fact, we're going to look at a lot of it uh, in just this, this message because It's so relevant to what we're seeing in this verse, this one specific verse, and it's going to help us understand what this judgment is. In John 1, 3, right at the very beginning of the book, we we find out that, that Jesus Christ, the eternal word who has been with God from all eternity, that in him is life, and that life is the light of men. That's how John describes it, a light that shines in the darkness, verse 5 says. In fact, John 8, 12 says, Jesus is going to say himself, I am the light of this world. And when we first started looking at this, this, uh, this language, when we encountered it at the very beginning of this book of light and darkness, we saw very clearly up front in the first chapter that the light that Christ is displaying in its essence is the glory of his own father, the glory of God. When Christ came into the world, he was showing us who his Father really is. He was showing us who God is. And he did that in what he said. He did that in in what he did. We were seeing, like when we read about it in the scriptures, we are seeing the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And the best verse to show us that that's the case is John 1.14, which we've gone back to many times over the last six months. John 1.14 says that the purpose of this light, Jesus, entering into this world, we're told, is that the Word, God's own Son, became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the light of John 3. Um, it, is, it is the glory of the only Son from the Father, from God. All that God is, is seen in Jesus. So just c- conceive of it. His goodness, His truth, his, his excellency, His righteousness, His justice, His grace, His love, all of those things shine through Jesus because they are who His Father is. Uh, Hebrews 1.3 puts it really well, calling Christ the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's Jesus. And this is going to help us, this understanding from John 1.14 is going to help us understand how this light coming into the world is actually a judgment. Why does Jesus say this? Well, Jesus explains It has to do with how the world responds to this light. He says, the glory of God shines into our world. 
through this light, Christ Jesus, and the response of the world to that glory is that people loved the darkness rather than the light. That's the response. Their response to the glory of God seen in Jesus is that they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want the light. If the light is God's glory, then the world desires darkness, the opposite of that, which is, of course, a horrific tragedy. And John 1, 9 through 11, another passage that we've gone back to over the past six months multiple times, uh, says it like this, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I mean, it, it does not get more heartbreaking than that. The response of mankind to the glory of God in Christ Jesus, God's person being clothed in flesh is rejection even from his own people the israelites who who had all the prophecies and all the scriptures they should have known if anyone should have recognized this light when he showed up it was them and yet they with all of humanity everyone loved the darkness jesus says more than the light. That's how the world responds to the light. <clears throat> and Jesus tells us the reason why in verse 19. He says, because their works were evil. That's why. That's why they couldn't stomach the glory of God when he showed up on their doorstep. That's why they loved the darkness. Their works were evil. Now, what does he mean? What could he mean by that? Well, Jesus is, tells us precisely what he means in the verse that follows, verse 20, when he says, for everyone who does wicked things, that's evil, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So the reason people reject the light is ultimately because they hate the light. They don't want anything to do with it. The reason people <clears throat> reject the glory of, of God in Christ is because they hate the glory of God. And what Jesus is talking about in this verse is a very deep and very profound reality that has its roots in the origin of all sin. The wicked things of verse 20 that Jesus mentions here is simply another way of talking about humanity's sin, humanity's evil. From the very beginning of human history, how mankind relates to God and to God's glory is, is actually the source of every evil, every wicked thing that has ever been done in our world. It is the origin of all evil in humanity. And Paul, in Romans 1, gives us perhaps the, the clearest and the most poignant reason, the picture of what the relationship, how the relationship between us and the glory of God, humanity and God's glory, is directly connected to the origin of sin. And he describes really, in, in its essence, why we live in a world filled with sin. Listen to him very closely. Romans 1, starting with verse 18. Paul says, 
the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the righteous judgment of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God, Paul says, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, Paul says, they are without excuse. Now, let's pause for just a second and try to comprehend all that Paul has said and distill it very simply. He's saying that God has displayed all of his godness in creation, in the the cosmos, in all of created reality. All of that points to a creator, points to God. And it displays his glory, his worth, his majesty, his power, all these invisible attributes that Paul mentions here. And so what Romans 1, in essence, right here is saying is that God has seen to it to make his reality known to mankind. There is simply no excuse on the table for anybody, no matter when you grew up, no matter what part of history you were in, no matter which country you you live in, there is no excuse because this reality is true for everybody. Even though our world desires to make the claim that, that he may not be real or he isn't real, God is saying through the inspired author, Paul, that's not an excuse that they can use. I have made it crystal clear such that to disagree with my reality is not merely to have an opinion. It's to suppress objective truth. That's what God's saying here. He has made himself plain to this world. His glory in creation has been put on display. Every star, every flower, every human being tells us that there is a God. And that to deny that is to suppress the truth. It is to reject what has clearly been made plain to them. No one on the last day will come before God and say, I didn't know. I didn't have enough evidence. Because God says in verse 19, no, 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 no. I have shown it to you. You know, you know. Deep down inside, you know. And So Paul presses this logic even further in verse 20. Listen to what he says here. For although, God, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And listen to this, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now that's critical because you can see here, this is light and darkness language, just like the Gospel of John, to reject the light of God's existence and glory in creation is to embrace darkness in your heart. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he continues with this tragic statement of what this leads to. Listen to what he says here. Claiming to be wise, they, humanity, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
resembling mortal man and, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, he says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Why did God give them up to this? Well, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul completes with a doxology. The passage in Romans 1 could not be any clearer. At the heart of every sin, every wicked, sinful inclination in us is a fundamental rejection of the glory and worth of God that we can clearly see in this world every single day. That's what's at the core, the center of sin. Sin is not just I think we, th- we often believe or have convinced ourselves that sin is just something I do. It's sin is just an action. That's all the overflow from a greater sin. Sin at its essence, at the very center of what evil is in the human heart, it is a trading of the delight we should have in who God is for a delight we have in what he has created Sin at its essence is an exchange of the glory of God for anything else in all of creation, for anything other than God. Whether, whether we think of that in terms of success or money or uh, security or food or, or sex or family, all of those things, sin arises from our embracing of them, not just as gifts from the Creator, that show us how valuable he is, but rather as gods in and of themselves that we worship and are addicted to and love more than him. That's why Paul calls this an exchange of the glory of God, and that's why he refers to it as a a darkness, a darkening of the human heart. It denies the, the plain reality of the light the glory of God, that God deserves to be worshipped and loved. He deserves our devotion. And so let's go back to John 3 with this reality from Romans 1 in our mind. This is the same judgment that Jesus is talking about. Just as God's wrath in Romans 1 is being revealed in the world ever since the fall, since the first rejection of his glory happened in the Garden of Eden, ever since that, there has been the, the, a judgment on earth, the wrath of God has been revealed. The same thing Jesus is saying is happening right now as I, the true light, enter into this world. The very glory of God shines through me into human history. And again, judgment happens. This is the judgment. When mankind encounters Christ, they encounter the radiance of the glory of God and their response is hatred. They hate that glory because mankind, as we saw in Romans 1, has always hated this glory. This is what judgment is. And we see this at the very end of Jesus' ministry, John 12, in this book. His, his public ministry is coming to a close in this uh, chapter. And he, he, he turns to the people near him and he says this. I want you to listen to what he says here about just having understood that God's glory and this light that Jesus is talking about in John 3 are the same reality. Listen to what he says here. John 12. 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. This is Jesus' final public plea to the world for mankind, for humanity to, to embrace the glory of God in him, this light that is coming from him, to receive him, to believe in him, to treasure him. That's what this is. And then, <coughs> excuse me, John, in the next verse, the way he bookends Jesus' public ministry is by saying this. Listen to what John says, the author of the book. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. In other words, they, they loved the darkness and they hated the light. That's what John's saying here. Mankind did not, when, when God came in the flesh, mankind did not embrace him. Just like what happened when God created the universe and, and humanity rejected him and exchanged his glory for all the things that he created, when God himself showed up in Christ Jesus, the, the, the being of God clothed in flesh, they scorned him, they reviled him, and within hours of him saying what he just said in John 12, he will be killed for this same reason. So back to John 3, Jesus in verse 19 says, this is the judgment. When Christ came into the world displaying the glory of his Father, this very rejection that occurs from humanity is their judgment, their own judgment against them. People love the darkness, he says, rather than the light because their works were evil. And then in, in verse 20, he continues, listen to this, by saying, they refuse to come to the light. Why? Lest their works should be exposed. This is the reason why they don't come to, to the light. Lest their works be exposed. So what does he mean by this? Well, think about it in this way. If the light is the glory of God, if the light that is Christ Jesus is the glory of God, then darkness is the absence of that glory. Darkness is, is an embracing of the human heart, of an ignorance about who God really is. And so when Christ came into the world, he came as light into the darkness. And when he does that, he exposes the, the, the falsehood of all the other things that we put our treasure in, put our, our hope in. He, he exposes our idolatry as what it really is. Because if, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then that man that walked 2,000 years ago on this world, we owe him everything. And when he comes into this world and makes those claims, if he's right, we, he deserves all of our love and affection. And the thought of that for mankind is unbearable. It is unbearable. So Jesus, in coming into this world, that light shining into the darkness exposes our idolatry to things in creation 
and it is really the, the, the thing that gives rise to every wicked and evil deed that, that comes up out of that idolatry. So listen to John 7, 7. Jesus is going to say what I just said in one quick sentence to his brothers. He, John 7, he is having a conversation with his brothers, telling them why the world does not love him, why the world hates him. Listen to what he says here. The world, he tells his brothers, cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. He's saying that his very presence is a testimony against the world's rejection of their creator. In what they do, the sinful actions they do, which he exposes as sin, and in the very idolatry from which all of those actions have arisen. If Jesus really is the living God, if he really is God in the flesh, if, if he's the glory of God in the likeness of man, then to respond to him in any other way than adoration and love is to dishonor Jesus. And this is why his coming into the world means judgment for humanity, even if he did not come into the world to condemn us. But Jesus is not done talking to Nicodemus yet. He has one more thing that he's going to say to Nicodemus before this conversation, as far as the scriptures are concerned, is over. And that is in verse 21. So look at this very closely. After depicting the tragedy of this judgment in this language of light and darkness, he says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, this is good news. This is amazing news. What it means is that not every single person rejects the light of Christ. Not every single human being does. Some people don't reject him. Some people come to the light, he says. And so let's think very carefully about the language that he uses here. He says, whoever does what is true. Whoever does what is true. That's the opposite of what we just read in Romans 1, just a few minutes earlier. Romans 1 said that when humanity saw the created world, their response was suppression of the truth. That's their response. And yet here... Instead of rejecting the glory of God, people do what is true. They don't suppress the truth. They embrace the truth and they come to the light. They come to God's glory in Christ. They see him for who he is and they run to him and embrace him. And they believe in him. They trust him. And then what Jesus says next will bring us back to the very focus of this entire chapter. All of John 3 is really pointed at this this reality. He says the reason they come to the glory of God, the light, is so that it can be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. When we do what is true, when our works are true, when we do what is true in this world and live as though God is real, as though his glory is infinitely great, and as though he deserves every ounce of affection we can muster, when we live that way, it happens, Jesus says, because of God. Those works, he says, have been carried out 
in God, which is the entire point of John 3. Uh, Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The very first thing he says to Nicodemus, which means that underneath Every, every ounce of faith that you and I have in receiving Jesus and trusting him underneath the salvation that is being worked up in our souls, underneath every single good impulse you and I have is a sovereign act of the living God that causes us to be born again. That's what in God means at the very close of this verse it means that the new birth happened in us. Coming to the light is the instinctive, native response of someone who has been born again. It is the natural inclination of someone who has been awakened to who Christ really is and seen the glory of God. We, we come to the light because there is simply nothing in the world more glorious more beautiful, more majestic than Jesus Christ. There's nothing like him. So why would we ever want to run away from this light? We want to run into it and embrace it. And that's what someone who has been born again says. That's what they feel. I must go to this light. He is everything to me. And in the context of this world, let's just take a step back, especially I want Christians to hear me here. That's not normal. That response is very abnormal. To love the light may be right and consistent with objective reality, but it is not the norm in this world. It is very abnormal when all of humanity is caught in the grip of judgment because of their own idolatry, their exchange of God's infinite glory for trinkets, called creation. It is a miracle of God that you and I, I mean, I want you to feel this. As a Christian, you are a miracle. You are not a normal phenomenon. It is insane that we come to the light in this massive sea of unbelief we call humanity on this planet. And this is what it means for Jesus to have brought us light. This is the very meaning of the title of this series. As his light enters our world, God is piercing the darkness of this world, the ignorance of this world, and the ignorance that that is in our hearts with his own glory, the glory that we see when we see Jesus, when we see what he said and what he did in this world. And that glory is so powerful that when When the new birth happened, when he causes us to be born again, our unbelief is obliterated. And we have life in us that is inexplicable. This is what John 3 is all about. Nicodemus came to Jesus knowing that he was special, knowing that he uh, he was a teacher who had come from God because he'd seen the signs. He'd seen all the signs that Jesus did, but he had no clue, no clue at all of how special Jesus really was or or how sinful his heart was and how futile he was in his own sin, even as a a rule-keeping Pharisee. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, listen, Nicodemus, I am more than a teacher. I am more than a miracle worker. I am the very glory of God incarnate standing in front of you right now. I am the, the, the light of the radiance of his 
splendor. That's who I am. All of his worth, all of his preeminence is put on display in this man, Christ Jesus. So when you encounter me, you either reject me as humanity has my father for countless generations, or you come to the light with joy in your heart. And if you do come to the light, Nicodemus, this is what he's, this is what he's trying to communicate to this Pharisee. Know that you're coming to light coming to the light has been done in God. That work, that inclination, that obedience of faith happened in God. It is God and his exceedingly great love for us, pressing down into our unbelief that brings us up out of the darkness and brings us into the light and makes this light an unspeakably beautiful treasure. This is why John 3 was written. We still have several messages probably in John 3. A lot of it is just looking at the results of this reality, but this is why. This is why John 3 was written. And so as we close our time together today, I just want to press on on you, on anybody who can hear me right now, I want to press on you that this passage speaks to every single person in the world. There's not a person in this world that this passage does not speak to, and it demands a response from us. That's the glorious thing about Jesus. He he said this 2,000 years ago in a private conversation with a Pharisee. And it, it, at infinite speed, comes and infiltrates right now for you and me. And he's asking this question. He's pressing this reality against us. And so first off, if you find yourself as a person who does not trust in Christ, I just want to make this very clear. If you do not believe in Jesus and you don't trust him right now and you in reflecting on all that we've said, would say, I'm actually in that category of darkness. I I feel like I'm in the darkness. And I just want to plead with you. I just want to ask you and, and, and really draw you to this reality and just plead with you to believe in Christ, to trust him, to trust Jesus, to receive him as your treasure. And I promise you, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be as good as I have described. I promise you that. You will find in the glory of Christ a joy that will never end. This verse is the last time we actually uh, hear about Nicodemus until the very end of this story after Jesus has been crucified. And we discover there seemingly I think there's significant evidence to suggest that Nicodemus is a disciple of Jesus by the end of this book. He comes to the light. Darkness isn't his story. He he, he actually goes and he, 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 he receives the treasure that is Christ. And so if you have yet to come to this light like Nicodemus in this passage, let me just ask you that you would, I'm just plead with you, let go of all other lesser glories and make a beeline for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. He's the only thing that can satisfy. I promise you that. Now, for those who have received Jesus, who believe in him him and, and love him and trust him already, this passage shows us many things. One of them is the profound grace and mercy and love that God has for us. He loved us at our worst, shrouded in darkness, filled with unbelief, unable to pull ourselves up to him, and he caused us to be born again, First Peter 1 says. He, he, he brought us life 
and the life that he brought us is so amazing. The most beautiful reality of the Christian is the glory of God, the very thing we've been staring at the entire time this morning, where you and I come face to face with the reason we exist. That is not an overstatement. Coming to this light every single day is the purpose of human existence. It's your purpose. We were made, our eyes were made to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And and when I say face, I mean everything he said and done throughout this entire book, all 66 individual books inside of it. That's why this life that Christ brought to us was so important, this new birth, this being born again. It, It was so important because we were given this grace of being able to see this glory and treasure him. We have a book that tells us everything we need to know about the light. And so I'm just going to ask you, you have access to Jesus in, in this scriptures. Spend your life in this book. Come to this light every day like Jesus has just told us in John 3. And as we sing this next song, you're going to have an opportunity in your own home, in your own context, to receive the elements of communion, the Lord's Supper. And this act of communion is really, like I I say on many weeks, is the cost of the life that he secured for us. It is the price of that life that Christ brought us. He had to die, which is represented in the the bread and the cup, in order for us to live. The cross is a swallowing up of the light with the darkness of our sin so that you and I could be born again. And so that this judgment that he speaks of in John 3 would never, ever, ever, ever be a reality in our lives because he's paid for it on the cross. First Peter tells it very clearly. I, and I love these verses in First Peter. Listen to what he says in and we'll pray. First Peter tells us that we were ransomed not with perishable things like silver and gold, but we were ransomed with the precious, the infinitely precious blood of Jesus so that we would be for God a people for his own possession, a people that, that live to, hear this, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into this marvelous light. That's who we are. That's what we are. We, we are people who proclaim this light. That's what we were made for. And in this light, this is not an overstatement. Listen to me very carefully. In this light is an unending joy that you and I will call home forever, for all eternity. That's what this light is. It is knowing our maker and being known by him for unending ages. So when we worship here in the next few moments, feel something of that, I ask you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a... a, enormous reality this is. It is hard (laughs) each week to come to this book and to see glories that are so unspeakably awesome and then have to speak about them in some way. So I, I just ask that any 
distraction, any inability on my part, Father God, would not keep my friends, these people, from seeing your glory in this text. How you've ransomed us from the judgment in this text by sending your Son to be crushed by our own darkness in order that we could have the greatest treasure in the universe, the light of Christ Jesus, your own glory imaged in your son. I, I pray that you would be with my people as we're scattered throughout the greater Seattle area and that we would get an opportunity very soon to worship you again together in person and to glorify your name, Father God. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.